Hi everyone and welcome to the 10th edition of Ground Control. We're going to take a different direction with uh, this one and we've been particularly, have been particularly looking at things such as equities and the uh, markets um, around the world over a number of these sessions we've actually done. Today we're actually going to be talking property and I know property is near and dear to everybody's heart and we have the head of research uh, for uh, Benari in today. Uh, Dominic, and Dominic's actually going to um, answer a few of those questions that's really on the lips of everybody, particularly as we've gone through a rather tough year uh, with COVID. And there's lots of, um, lots of experts out there, but uh, some of those experts haven't actually uh, um, proven to be all that successful with some of their predictions. Dominic, welcome to our session today. Thanks very much for taking time out um, uh, to actually share some of your insights with us. Just beforehand, could we get a little bit of an idea, a little bit about Benari, just so we can put some perspective uh, around uh, what we're going to talk about today? Yeah, yeah, sure. And thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. So, look, Benari Property is a purely a property research and investment advisory business. Um, so essentially, we base the business around our research methodology and sort of the way in which we approach the property markets to understand them the best, the best we possibly can and then work with various financial professionals like financial advisors, mortgage brokers, accountants and assist their clients in investing in property basically through providing them with the macro and micro research that helps them to make those really good decisions around property investment. So we sort of monitor the sort of various markets around the country, um, get an understanding of those markets and how they're performing and where they sit within their sort of respective property cycles and then help our clients to identify the right properties within those markets um, to invest in for creating wealth and you know getting a consistent income and rental return. Fantastic. Well, just gives a, some perspective for people uh, just to understand why we're actually sitting here talking yeah. to you. It's actually always important yeah. to give them that uh, perspective. So Dominic, the big question on everybody's lips is uh, how has COVID affected the property markets. Yeah, and I think it's um, it's an interesting one. The, when we talk about the property market in Australia, it's always hard to talk as if it's one market. Um, the beauty of Australia is that we've got sort of so many independent property markets around the country, um, and they're sort of geographic or through product type, all the types of things that sort of they all kind of act very differently throughout different periods. So. One thing that COVID has done is kind of highlight that, you know, we've seen the various capital city markets deal with the COVID situation a little bit differently. Um, and in turn, that's had a bit of an impact on the market. So a lot of the areas which have typically been, you know, purely um, travel destinations or the eastern suburbs of Sydney, for example, where you've had lots of Airbnbs that have been converted into long-term sort of rental properties. Um, we saw an increase of supply of that type of property come onto the market. So there's definitely been a little bit of an increase in vacancy um, and a falling of rental yields in certain areas. Um, then obviously you had the Melbourne scenario where lockdowns, uh, extended periods of lockdown sort of led to you know, months of supply build up onto the market from a rental perspective um, and vacancy rates increasing there and rental yields falling. So it's kind of dependent um, on what part of the market we're talking about. But one thing that we have noticed is that the areas that are purely dominated by owner occupiers, you know, suburban areas where it's 80% of the 80% of the dwellings are occupied by owner occupiers haven't really been too affected. Um, you don't really have that amount of supply coming onto the market so they've sort of remained pretty consistent and the property markets from a value perspective have all quite done quite well given the circumstances. Yeah look I think um, one of the things I noticed um, being a father of adult children is listening to my children talk about their friends have all moved back home 
So uh, it certainly would have uh, impacted some of the rental rental yeah. markets as well. Yeah, so I think those sort of inner city areas that people have moved out from a lifestyle perspective to be closer to work or, you know, the nightlife and the restaurants and the cafes and the bars and all those types of things, you know, when things tighten up from an employment perspective and you're a little bit unsure or uncertain around your job security, there's that movement to go back to go back home and, and that's led to a little bit of supply on the market but I mean I think the Sunshine Coast had a vacancy rate of around 2.2% and now it's 0.3% so there's been a real tightening up there and that's probably that movement that COVID's caused from people out of CBDs to those sort of regional area more regional coastal towns or coastal areas. Yeah great look just for the, the people who um, you know a lot of people think they understand property and I'm sure they do but um, what can you give us a little bit of an understanding in layman's terms, if possible, the the relationship between rental yield and price. So, if if our rents drop, does that mean our um, overall um, value of our our property drops, uh, and vice versa for rents increase? Um, how does that process work? Yeah, so it's, they don't directly correlate in that sense, but there is a correlation when we start to see rental markets kind of heat up and rental yields increase. And, and rental yield is basically the return you're getting on your um, property. So if you've purchased a property for $500,000 um, and you had a rental yield of uh, 5%, you'd be getting around that $500 a week uh, mark. So what we've seen in the past is when rental yields start to sort of creep up or rental returns start to creep up, it's generally a sign of heat in the market um, and that heat in the market can then translate into a bit of a, a growth period. So what we've seen um, over the past in, in Sydney as an example is the rental yields were, were quite high and then we had this most recent growth cycle and rents haven't really caught up so we've got a little bit of a disparity between um, purchase prices and rental returns and that's one of the key drives for people to look outside of Sydney for an investment property. Um, so they don't directly correlate but it is a real good indication of the levels, level of supply on a market and the amount of demand for the properties within that market. Yeah, look, you mentioned a couple of, um, of areas where uh, there has been recovery. You know, we've, we've been, the, as you're saying, have this multiplicity of markets, both uh, from the point of view of uh, the different states, but within even in places like Sydney and Melbourne, within different parts of Sydney and Melbourne. Where have the recoveries been and, and uh, how have, business, how have um, uh, properties been impacted? Yeah, I think um, the key areas that we've seen that have really gone to a different level of strength um, in this period are those sort of coastal regions. Um, the coastal regions where people have had these plans for a sea change or a tree change and they've brought those forward because they're now able to work from home so they have that flexibility of maybe going into the office one day a week um, which enables them to live in the areas where they've got the affordability, the desired lifestyle um, and, and that's where we've really seen sort of Newcastle and the Sunshine Coast benefit. Um, other areas like the Gold Coast as well. Um, and those areas we think are really strong because they've got that employment base as well. You know, there's probably been an increase of people moving to, you know, the south coast of New South Wales and, you know, the north coast, the central coast, those sorts of areas. But it's just really important that from a long-term perspective, you've still got that those core fundamentals, which are around employment, population growth, infrastructure spending and those types of things. Um, so... Yeah, one of the, some of the areas where which we've seen that real recovery or that increase in demand has been those sort of coastal towns. And then, um, you know, in our capital cities, we haven't by any means seen a fall in prices. Um, in Melbourne, there's been some short-term issues over the last sort of three months. But by large, over the last sort of 12 months, I think CoreLogic's reported that all the markets have actually, all the capital city markets have actually increased in terms of average dwelling prices. Yeah, look, we were talking a little bit earlier before um, uh, we started shooting, and you mentioned some of the banks have rethought uh, some of their uh, 
their views on some of the markets. Um, can you give us some insight into that? Yeah, so I mean, pre-COVID, you know, you, there was a lot of concern and uncertainty around what it would mean for the property markets and how it would react, what it would mean for unemployment and all those types of things. Um, and ANZ, I think, reported a 10% drop in Brisbane in 2021. Um, and Westpac also reported a 10% drop in median prices in 2021. Um, and both have come out, I think it was today, that said and said that um, ANZ's gone back and said that they actually think it's going to be a 10% increase in median prices in Brisbane in 2021 and Westpac's come back and said they actually think it's going to be a 20% increase so both of which have gone from you know two very different scenarios one <laughs> first both pitching a, um, a fall in prices or the doom and gloom but now sort of a much more um, promising outlook on the Brisbane market and I think look this is something that we've sort of seen for a little while now I think a lot of people have been waiting for that southeast Queensland market to really kick off as we've sort of seen the disparity in prices between Sydney and Brisbane just continue to increase um, but definitely what COVID has done is bring forward those plans to move out of the real concentrated or dense CBD centres and to those ones where you've kind of got that affordability um, but also the lifestyle perspective and you're still able to get a good job. Yeah look I, um, I was reading about James Packer on his uh um, $750 million yacht or whatever, yeah. whatever it costs, uh, doing his, um, his uh, video conferencing back to the, to the uh, courts that he's actually, uh, to the, the committees that he's referring to. And uh, I can see that that sea change, I'm not quite sure I'm going to get myself a $750 million yacht, but I can see the reason for people actually moving to that because it's so easy yeah. to be able to hold a lot of meetings that you um, most have done face-to-face -face in the past. Yeah. The... Um, the, the, we actually talk regularly about a property clock um, and uh, different places are actually affected. So where are the hotspots from the property clock perspective? And can you just explain what the what I'm talking about yeah, when I say yeah. property clock? Yeah, so I mean, a property clock generally refers to sort of the cyclical nature of properties, of property markets. So we typically see property markets go through a growth phase, a bit of a stagnation phase, then a bit of an opportunity phase, and then that sort of, um, we start to see that upswing and that growth again. And, and as we sort of approach the top of the property clock, it sort of is, you know, a metaphor for reaching the top end of a market cycle. Um, and I think one of the key things is you generally see property clocks where capital cities are grouped as sort of one whole market on that clock. Um, but what we've found and over the years um, is that even within those markets, there are pockets that perform quite differently. So, I mean, generally you'll find that parts of a market where it be uh, dominated by owner-occupiers perform very differently to parts of the market where it's dominated by investors. And I think a good example of that would be sort of for Sydney siders, a Maroubra versus a Zetland. Um, so Zetland being and Maroubra being relatively close to each other, but two very different property markets. And the reason for that difference is Zetland's had to tend with lots and lots of supply over a number of years. You know, the Meriton, Meriton projects that have got up, go up there are generally you know, a few hundred at a time, and you've got thousands and thousands of apartments that have been brought onto that market. So as an example, that apartment market will perform very differently to a Maroubra where you've got um, you know, very limited supply, lots of restrictions around development and zoning and all those types of things and we found that over the growth cycles of Sydney, there was a good example that we looked at, the Maroubra property actually grew 85% over the exact same period that a Zetland property grew 29%. So two very different performances despite both going through that growth cycle. So where we kind of see the 
the hot spots or the, the opportunities is probably that southeast Queensland market. And like I said, it's one that we've spoken about for a long time and people have been waiting for this sort of shift from the city market to the southeast Queensland market. But we're now really seeing that move and that heat start to come into the market. And that's where we see that heat is with falling vacancy rates. So we know that rental properties are being snapped up quite quickly. Um, you know, from our perspective, we've had a lot of clients who have settled on properties in southeast Queensland over the last few months and they've been rented before settlement. They've rented at really, really strong um, rates. So see those opportunities probably in southeast Queensland and down in Melbourne and Newcastle, but it's just about picking the right sort of pockets to make sure that you capitalise on those cycles. Yeah. Look, the, um, it's very interesting when you talk about uh, Zetland and, um, and Maroubra and um, I live around that area. I shop at Zetland, uh, East Village there, and uh, but it uh, was in, there was a just a big hole in the ground for many many years. Uh, the property had been purchased by a property developer, a fairly well-known property developer, and that sat there. And all of a sudden, everything went up around there and infrastructure, uh, and it was an ideal rental, as you say, rental market. Um, um, I can just imagine it being a, a little more difficult than um, that. And it goes back to the question of, um, of um, uh, the characteristics of, of good properties. And so when you guys research properties, yeah. what are the, some of the characteristics that you look for? for good, good property purchases? Yeah. So we, we, I mean, we focus on new property and one of the reasons why we focus on new property is because you've got the tax depreciation or the maximum depreciation benefit. Um, but one of the other things is, and probably the main one, is the choice that you get. When you're looking for a property on the established market, you're kind of limited to what's on the market or you know what someone's deciding to sell. Whereas when we look at new property, we're generally able to pick the best properties within, say, a development. Now our focus is always to be in the really boutique space. So looking at you know townhouse projects of five, or ten, um, not so much that high density kind of property that you'll see in um, in Zetland. Um, so, some of the key things that we look for is. From a location perspective, you're looking for the typical close to transport, close to amenity, close to schools, close to those types of things. Um, and, and that's the type of thing that people innately do when they're buying their own property. But when you're buying an investment property or you're out of the areas that you're familiar with, it's really important that you get those things right. It's also important to understand the sort of supply. So what's coming onto the market? What can be brought onto the market around the property that you're looking at? Um, so we do a lot of that analysis. And then when it comes to the actual property, it's about the little things like, you know, a lot of natural light. You don't want to be in a really dark property that's never going to appeal to an owner-occupier. You want to make sure that the property you buy appeals to the owner-occupier market. Um, and that, that relates to size, layout, um, quality, all those types of things. So we typically find that owner-occupiers are more comfortable in the boutique apartment or boutique apartment, townhouse, house and land space as opposed to the really high density type product. Um, so we focus on that because a key part of our process is to identify properties that an owner-occupier would purchase um, rather than limiting yourself to properties that only an investor would purchase. And typically when, when we see that market upswing, um, the properties that appeal to an owner-occupier where someone gets emotionally attached to tend to perform much better. Um, and when we go through those sort of downturns, properties that are dominated by investor demand, whether it be overseas students who are renting them, you know, a large rental population. Yeah, no, that's, um, that's, that's really interesting. I think um, earlier on, I remember listening to a variety of, um, of um, reports regarding size of property, yeah. <clears throat> particularly um, um, so-called student accommodation. And the banks were reluctant to lend on anything which was below about 50 Square meters. Um, are they still um, still think that way? Do they still have those problems? Yeah, there's still that reluctance, and it all comes from the performance over time. You know, there's there's always been you you often find people that buy studio apartments and those types of things 
generally have a little bit more trouble selling those properties than something that you know is more appealing to an owner occupier. You don't typically see um, that's and and the reason they've put the size guidelines on it is just to have that sort of cutoff point. And, and generally, a one-bedroom apartment under 50 square meters is quite small. So um, we would typically avoid those types of properties too. And and when we're looking at two-bedroom apartments, we'd even go to looking at the you know what's much larger than the average. Um, that's being delivered because you just know that it op there's a couple of aspects of a property that can never be changed in an apartment or a townhouse and that's sort of the size of it. Yeah, well as experts in this area, um, what are the real red flags um, from that perspective? You know, we, we can talk about the good parts but I suppose they're the reverse, of, the bad parts are the reverse of that but what are the real red flags? What are the things that you basically have a look and quick think, no, I'm well, we're out of here. Yeah, yeah, and, and they, they come, a lot of them come from that supply piece. So again, avoiding areas where you've got thousands and thousands of competing properties where you have no real point of difference um, because it's going to make it really hard to rent the property. It's also going to make it really hard to sell the property. Um, and then when it comes to the property itself, you know, avoiding properties where you have a bedroom with no natural light or bedrooms that are really too small and, and impractical or layouts where you don't really have a practical layout. It's a real studio type feel where you're living, dining and kitchen all sort of blended together um, or you've got a really bad aspect or outlook those types of things so those are the things to avoid but I think the key one for anyone is to avoid areas and, and it can be apartments it can be townhouses it can be house and land avoid areas where if you're looking at house and land there's thousands and thousands of house and land lots that are going to be released onto the market where you have no potential for the market to create that heat because any time there is a bit of heat in the market increased supply just dilutes any potential growth yeah because I suppose people will will um, go to the, the most the newest property when they have a choice of properties and they're going to rent your older one yeah, if there's a new one that's just been built down the road. Um, so that's uh, obviously a diffi difficult part of it. The, the three things I think that, um, that um, uh, investors um, and buyers of property need to, um, to do, if you, if you could pick three things when we go and look at properties and we talk to people like yourselves and uh, we start to um, consider buying a property, what would be your top three? I think they start from a really high level, understanding your sort of investment goals or your, your property strategy. You know, you don't want to be buying properties with the view of, because of the purchase costs that come with properties, you know, there's stamp duty, there's um, selling costs if you are to exit the property. So because of the, the high fees that you've got to sort of exit and enter the property, um, you don't want to be buying properties with the view of selling so frequently. Um, so I think understanding your strategy and understanding that property is a long-term um, investment. So getting that strategy piece right can ensure that you buy the right property from the get-go or you're looking at the right types of properties. You know, you don't want to be looking at properties that are you're banking on a certain amount of growth over a short period of time and then it sort of forces you into a between a rock and a hard place in a, in a way. Um, the second one is is really important and I think it's understand your borrowing capacity and understand your comfort levels. You know before you go out and look for properties it's really important that you understand what where your potential lies, where your sort of comfort levels lie and, and where your ability lies to sort of um, you know, fund a property because you want to make sure you get that part right to determine you're looking in the right places. And then the third one is probably to do your, do your research and if you've got the time to, do your research yourself and understand the market really, really well. But if you don't, engage someone who can do that research for you and help you to identify the right pockets of the market and do all the sort of heavy lifting when it comes to understanding the various cycles and understanding what you should be looking for and what you should be avoiding um, just so that you can make that right decision because like I said, it's a long-term hold it's a pretty significant investment and it's one that's hard to sort of get in and out of because of the costs that you've got associated with it um, so you really want to be buying the right property from the outset and um, and, and making sure that it does the job for you. 
Yeah, great. I think they call it flipping properties, where they people try to buy them and then do a little bit to them and try to sell them at some uh, some enormous uh, margin over yeah. what they bought them. I, I think that's a little bit of a, a myth. You might be lucky one, yeah. once in a blue moon yeah. to actually I do think, that. Yeah, I think the key thing that you need to work in your favour for flipping properties is you either need to be really experienced in the in the building building game and understanding that sort of process and understanding where you where the opportunities are, but you also sort of need the market to work in your favour because you really need to be picking the right end of the cycle if you're going to do that. You know, there's lots of people who bought properties to renovate and flip at the sort of peak of the Sydney cycle um, and they probably haven't got the margins that they were hoping for. So for us, we're more of a just a set and forget type investment where you buy something that's really good quality, you rent it out and there's very minimal issues um, as opposed to that flipping strategy, which can work, but also can be a bit challenging if you're not experienced in it. Yeah, I think it's consistent with our uh, strategies in respect to investment and that is to let the market do the work for you, yeah. uh, not you try to do the, yeah. the work for it. And uh, I'm familiar with um, um, the market in the Gold Coast, a friend who lives up there, and they, they've been telling me at various stages through their cycle of cycles they've been through that the markets have remained flat for five or six years and then all of a sudden they just go like yeah. that. And you, you've got to be in the market for when it does go like that. Yeah, uh, but it can be fairly, fairly flat at various stages. Um, so it, it is a, a, a more of a longer term. And I, I think we like to see people go through at least one market cycle. Uh, in some instances, if not two, for some of their investment properties, uh, to to benefit really from uh, from that opportunity. Yeah, and I think I think another just on that another good example is sort of people in Sydney. I know my my dad, for an example, bought a property in sort of 2004 in the inner west, and you know paid almost half a million for it. And by the time it was sort of 2010, 2011, he got it revalued and it came in at less than what it was worth. So sort of six or seven years of holding it, where it had done nothing. The following six or seven years, it's doubled and it's worth you know well over a million dollars now. So it's just about picking that cycle and, and you know had he had that research and known that he could have sort of held off and then purchased a little bit later um, he might have been able to benefit from that cycle as well as something prior to that you know so it's just about that long-term strategy. Fantastic well Dominic Cavagnino thanks very much today we really appreciate your time head of research with Benari uh, we've been very lucky to have Dominic uh, sharing some of the clues that we need to take into account when we're actually considering considering uh, property purchases it's, uh, it's not, not all property goes up, despite what people think, and we need to be really careful, particularly in markets and, and the breadth of markets that we actually have these days, and, and right throughout Sydney, right throughout uh, Melbourne, and right throughout Australia, there are um, a fairly large degree of variance on the markets. Uh, thanks very much for your time today, and we look forward to speaking to you in our next version of Ground Control.